understanding of your eyes would be enlightened. Hey, family, welcome back to the Root Work Podcast with Tiffany Malone. I am, I don't know how I feel. This is like episode five, and they have gone so fast. I wasn't kind of expecting to already be at episode five of season one. So um, I don't know. This is this is weird, but I'm having fun. And above all, I hope y'all are y'all are being blessed. Um, you know. When I was preparing for um, this podcast recording, um, I was cooking. Um, I like to cook. I think I like to eat more. Um, I'm still getting delivered from that. But I was cooking green beans. And folks who know me know that one of the things that I um, love to do, especially in the last three, four years is garden. Um, we have a, a pretty big garden on some family land that my husband has. I have the whole, I mean, this is like a, this is a pretty high end, uh, uh, setup. This is not like a, you know, backyard kind of day. I've got like all these raised beds, whole irrigation system. And, and it's really neat because we get to grow a lot of really good stuff and we give it away or we can it or we're, you know, using the garden to teach people how to, to, to grow food and all the things. So it's really, really fulfilling. But I have learned, oh my gosh, I have learned so much in the process of gardening. One of the things that I love about having a garden is that a lot of the food we eat, we grew. And I, I mean, I know this is like in 2024, you know, it's, it, it, if my grandmother was here, she, she'd probably chide me and say how silly I sounded because uh, they almost they ate almost all the food they grew. That was pretty much most of the source of their diet. But you know, I'm one of those city kids that grew up and I thought the food came from the grocery store <laughs> because that's where we always used to go get it. So to grow your own food and then to, you know, kind of pull it off the shelf because you canned it and all that is is really fulfilling. But it also makes you think differently because Earlier this week, I was going to make some green beans. I love green beans and I love some good Southern green beans seasoned with meat and all the things, right? And so I took these green beans that were my garden fresh green beans that I had canned out of the, you know, pantry and unsealed them, popped the top, and then got a little panicked for a moment because I didn't know if I could find the meat I used to season them with. Now in the past, maybe that wasn't like a big deal, but something in my thought process really shifted this time. And the reason it shifted was because this was a can of green beans that I grew. And suddenly everything that had gone into 
growing them, turn that can or glass jar or whatever you want to call it of green beans from being what would normally be a dollar and something, you know, cent can at the grocery store that I could buy from being that, you know, kind of easy to easy to get commodity to something a whole lot more valuable. Right. It was like what ran through my mind was planting the seed in the ground and watching it grow and going out and making sure all the irrigation was there so that it could be watered. And as it was growing, going to the garden and taking all this joy and watching the green beans come up and reporting to everybody and taking all these pictures. And even more than that, it was when they grew, I went out and harvested all of them. I spent hours out there pulling the very green beans that I'm about to eat off the stalks one by one. And I brought them, you know, into the the clean space and we washed them and cut them and canned them and pressure cooked the cans so that they would like, and all the things. And that's all time investment. And so when I popped this can of green beans, it suddenly occurred to me what, what had never occurred to me in all the years that I pop a can, that the can might've come from the grocery store and it might have been purchased for the point of putting food on the family's table that day. But that all, for me, all the work that had gone into growing those green beans came down to one day, right? The one day I was going to eat them. It was so, I was so aware of it that not having the right meat to season my green beans was like, whoa, there's no way I'm going to waste. <laughs> well, I'm not going to waste this can. That might otherwise have just been a dollar can, but I was invested in what was in this can. And so I wanted to make sure that when I made these green beans, they were good and honored, right? All the work that had gone into them because, well, these were my green beans that I grew and I didn't want to waste the day, the day I grew them for. And I, that, that thought kind of stuck with me for a while. And it got me thinking about a story in scripture. But more than that, it got me thinking about my life. Um, the particular, I'm in a particular season right now and in, in many ways with some things that God is doing, working out in me, doing through me where this particular season, I am looking forward to the work that I'm doing right now is all building to a particular day, so to speak. And I, when I thought about that, and I, I, as I pray about this season that I'm in, the story in Genesis chapter 37 through the end of the book of Joseph came to mind. And this is one of my favorite books, one of my favorite Bible stories, um, because it is so relatable. I know a lot of times we, <laughs> a lot of times we love to read this story and it's easy to kind of relate yourself to the sympathetic hero, but I see myself in a lot of the characters in the story of Joseph. Um, the, the story, if you're not familiar with it, is in Genesis chapter 37 and it opens up sort of in the middle of stories that are being told all throughout the, 
the book of Genesis. It This is the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, who would become Israel. Joseph is Jacob's son. And Joseph is born into some serious dysfunction. Like he's born into it. If you um, follow the story and if you know Jacob's story, Jacob was a bit of a trickster himself. He he got it from his mama. Y'all really need to read the Bible because <laughs> like the stuff in there is like, it's like real life, right? But Jacob was tricked by his uncle into marrying a woman he did not love um, so that he could get the woman he loved. And into that, came in out of that dysfunction came the dysfunction of 12 sons. Some of them were by the woman he didn't love. Some of them were by her maid. Some of them were by the woman he loved. Two of them were, and some of the others by her maid. And so he's got this big bunch of 12 sons and Joseph is one of them, right? He's one of 12, but all sons are not created equal in this family because I told you he was born into dysfunction, right? And so Jacob loved his wife so dearly and she died early. She died very early. She was the woman that he loved. And so in her absence, he lavishes the love that he had for her onto the sons that were born to her, of which Joseph is one. So much so that he creates a very, very um, what you might call toxic or unhealthy dynamic between Joseph and the other brothers. It's just straight up clear favoritism. He loves Joseph the most, right? He loves him. And so as the story, you know, goes, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy story. Cause it kind of shows you, you, you kind of, as you read it, and if you read it realistically, you, you almost can be somewhat sympathetic to a lot of the characters in the story, given the dysfunction they were born into. And in that life, right, it's like, you know, you're you're you grow up with your own. I don't want to. Everybody doesn't have trauma, but we call it that. Right. That's like a common word. Your, your situation, your dysfunction, the things you were taught for some people, your trauma. But you're literally born into someone else's story. And usually as you are growing up, you are. Everybody, your world is affected by others' worlds, right? Even before you're old enough to make decisions, when we are kids, when we're children, our worlds, we become aware that our worlds are affected by others' worlds. And he's just a really good example of that. So, you know, he, there's this, there's, there's this dynamic where the, 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 the other brothers aren't loved as much as him. And, you know, his life, um, takes a lot of turns because he is targeted one day when he, he shares a dream that he's had. One of the, one of the amazing things about Joseph is that he has a gift from God. He has dreams and the God given ability to interpret them. And so he had a couple of dreams and told the dreams and these dreams, um, really upset his brothers. And so his father gives him this coat and doesn't give anything to the brothers. And it infuriates the brothers who are not treated or loved as much as him so much that their jealousy drives them to plot to kill their brother, 
like to kill him. And so they go, they have this whole plan and they're going to kill him. And so it's interesting. They, they, they take him out and they throw him in a pit, which is what, you know, kind of their, their plan is. And then one of the brothers intervenes, the oldest brother and, and says, please, you know, let's don't do this. And so then the others kind of change their mind almost, you know, like they're doing a favor and they say, yeah, maybe we should just sell him. After all, he is our brother, you know, like, like that's a, like, that's a step. I guess that is a little bit better than killing him, you know, and I, I've kind of often thought of that story, um, just parenthetically here and wondered like how Joseph must have felt being kind of in his brother's hands, thinking he was with his brothers, probably taking his safety for granted. And I've often wondered how he felt kind of the moment that he realized, oh no, they're going to kill me right now. The, the people that I thought were, I was safe with are actually going to kill me. I, I wonder, I wonder how scary that, that moment was the, the, the moment he had that realization. Um, that that's, that's, it's just a really deep story, but anyway, they sell him now <laughs> they sell him off to Egypt somewhere and they get the money and then they tell his father he died. So this guy for all intents and purposes has done nothing, done nothing but grow up in a house and into dysfunction. And while he has been favored in his father's house, he hasn't really done anything wrong and his life takes this really, really tragic, what we would call unfair turn. Um, and it will continue to do that throughout the story. He um, goes and is sold to the Potiphar, who's the captain of the Pharaoh's guards, right? Well off man, very high ranking guy, but there's something about Joseph. Joseph has gifting to interpret dreams, but he also has wisdom. He also has character and he has devotion to God. And everywhere Joseph goes, those character traits show up again and again and again and again in him. And what seem like these terrible, terrible, unfair turns to an innocent person's life, because those character traits keep coming up, even the places that he goes, he's promoted everywhere he goes. So he's a slave. He's in a foreign land. He doesn't know where he is and he's promoted all the way to the top in Potiphar's house so that the Bible says Potiphar didn't have to think about anything except for what he was going to eat that day. Joseph was so good at running his affairs. And so it won't be very long before he's unjustly accused because Potiphar's wife wants him one. And she kind of heightens the accusation by sort of making it racial too, because there was this thing between the Egyptians and the Hebrews. And she says, yeah, this, this Hebrew kid that you brought in here, he, he tried to rape me. Well, Joseph had done no such thing. In fact, it was his very integrity when he said no to Potiphar's wife that got him in trouble. So then he's thrown into jail. So now if you're tracking, you got a, a really innocent kid 
who's growing into adulthood because this story is beginning to span years at this point. And the unfairness hasn't seemingly righted itself. And as he's growing into manhood, what seems like one unfair situation after another continues to happen, yet God remains with him. And the character of goodness, of wisdom, of integrity, of stability and gifting continue to rise up in him. And it happens again in the prison, right? He is promoted when he gets to prison. So prison is in prison. It it, it isn't the same prison experience for Joseph because he's so amazing. And what ends up happening is that his very gift to interpret dreams, one day he does that. And as he does that, for uh the chief cupbearer for 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 pharaoh he tells him a dream the cupbearer leaves and leaves him in prison for two more years after he's told him his dream even though joseph said please don't forget to tell pharaoh about me he doesn't for two more years but what happens is and this is an amazing story god sends pharaoh a really disturbing dream pharaoh now mind you Egypt is a superpower. We know this, right? Egypt is a very rich nation. God sends him a really disturbing dream. And it's not until that moment, two full years after the cupbearer has left Joseph in jail, that he remembers, oh, Pharaoh, oh, today I just got reminded of something I failed to tell you two years ago. To which I'm thinking, well, better late than never, but you know, (laughs) would have been nice to do it then, but that wasn't God's timing, right? So he tells him, I know I met a man in in prison who could who could tell you about your dream. And so this is where, this is where it gets instructive for me. Pharaoh, so desperate to know what the interpretation of his dream is, sends for Joseph. Mind you, Joseph is in prison unjustly. And that's not the first really bad thing that's happened to him up until this point. But Pharaoh sends for him. And in the process of Pharaoh sending for him, when Joseph meets Pharaoh and here's Pharaoh's dream. Joseph has to respond. Let me ask you something. How does somebody who has spent their life, most of their adult life by that point, as a slave and as a prisoner, respond to the Pharaoh of Egypt? How would you respond? It's, it's, it's similar to my green beans, right? All that growing and all that preparation that had been done for the day I popped that can. And the day I popped that can, it was time to eat those green beans because all of that that had been done was for the day that I prepared them. This is the day Joseph didn't even know was coming. All that he had gone through, he was about to learn, was for this day. This day when his gifting, 
met the Pharaoh of Egypt one day. And in this day, do you know what really made the difference? What made the difference is the character he had been building all along. Because when he had to interpret Pharaoh's dream, I can imagine if you're a prisoner and if you have the ability or what you might think is the ability, or you might have the opportunity, I should say, to be talking to the Pharaoh, you're not only thinking about interpreting his dream, you're thinking about your freedom. (laughs) You're thinking about the power this man holds. And depending on the sort of person you are, the type of character you have is going to depend on how you play this moment. And so what I find really interesting is when Pharaoh runs the dream down to Joseph, the first thing Joseph says to him is, God, it's God's business to interpret dreams. God is going to give Pharaoh the interpretation of his dream. The very first thing out of Joseph's mouth is to model his integrity by glorifying God. And so in, even in his interpretation of the dream, and you'll see this consistency, even when he told the dream, the, the dream in prison and wherever he's always said, God will give you the interpretation of the dream. And he does this before Pharaoh, which glorifies God. But what allows him to do that is the fact that when he was almost killed and sold into slavery by his brothers. And when he was in Potiphar's house and his wife made advances at him and when he was over Pharaoh's um, Potiphar's affairs and Potiphar trusted him so much, he wasn't even looking to see what he was doing. Right. And when he was in prison and when he was elevated to prison into all these positions, he had been practicing some character traits that made him, that qualified him, that allowed him to be ready for the moment he met Pharaoh. And if he had not been building his character in being steadfast and sure that God had been with him all along, and if he had allowed himself to fall into bitterness and anger when he began to think of why he was where he was, and if he had said to himself, God has left me because it's not fair what happened to me, right? The character traits he might have developed might have been something more like, I need to seize the moment. I need to do for me. I need to take care of myself. Instead, the ones he was actually developing were character traits of of honesty, of integrity, because he took the attitude. He, He realized that God was with him, even though... He was born into dysfunction, even though he was in an unfair situation, even though he was in a foreign land and it wasn't even his fault. God had been with him. And so when he stands before Pharaoh, y'all, I got to ask you, what do you need to go? What do you need to be to go from being a prisoner to talking to a Pharaoh? The Pharaoh of a superpower, right? This is, this is, this is no small person, right? The Pharaoh of a superpower who has a dream that is a threat to the existence of the then known world. The words that you are about to say to this Pharaoh 
as God has revealed them to you, can potentially save the known world. What kind of man do you have to be to go from being a prisoner to talking to a pharaoh and saying the right thing? What kind of woman would you need to be to be put in that moment where your gifting meets the person that it was designed to meet? What kind of person do will you need to become when you're in that dry season, that season where it seems like it's unfair, that season that you don't understand why things are like they are, the season that you un- that 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 doesn't have a lot of answers. I want to tell you that season is a preparation season right? That season is a character building season. That season is a proving ground. That season is a testing place. That season is, is asking of you, are you made of the stuff that when the gift that's buried on the inside of you actually meets the person that God is sending your path to change the season and change it in a day? Are you made of the stuff that can seize the moment and change the world? That's really the question for Joseph. This moment where he interprets this dream for Pharaoh is the moment I cracked the top of the green beans, so to speak. It's what I had grown them for, what I harvested them for, what I washed them, cut them up, canned them, and all that was to eat them. It was for the, this one day. This is Joseph's day. And as you're reading the story, you realize that everything in his past season was preparation, was character building, was trusting in God, was understanding who he should be so that on this one day, he shows up like he should. Let me ask you something. If your one day was today, do you have the stuff in you to show up like you should. If God took you today, stopped you at a gas station while you're pumping your car and you met a person who could help you change the world or who had the influence to take your gifting and you could do something great. Do you have, have you used the preparation season? Have I used the preparation season to be who I need to be in that moment? Could I show up in the way that I need to in the moment? I guess the reality is that when we despise the dry seasons, we really despise the process of purpose. That is the process. That is the proving place. That's where what God is doing is being rooted, where the roots are growing down deep underground, where they can't be seen so that when the fruit springs up, that fruit is supported. It's stable. It's in place, just like those green beans. I pluck the top, but the roots go way deep down. And that's what that season is all about. What are you doing with the sold into Egypt season? What are you doing while you're in Potiphar's house? What are you doing while you're in prison? Are you moping about how unfair it is? Are you rehearsing the family drama that got you here? 
or are you fully aware that the Lord is with you? And are you aware that this is the time that I need to be building the foundation of character for the day that I have to stand before Pharaoh? The reality of it is you're building some kind of character right now. You're building some kind of character right now. And when your gift meets the moment that it that it was given to you for, whatever you're building in the dry season is what's going to show up in that moment. The beautiful thing about this story is that Joseph meets Pharaoh and he doesn't have to become somebody else in a moment. He doesn't have to go and 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 speak in ways he doesn't speak normally. He doesn't have to go find some, some alter ego to show up in that moment. All he has to do is be the same Joseph he's always been. Joseph has been interpreting dreams for years now. It's just that it's the Pharaoh of Egypt asking. Joseph has been walking with God for a very long time now. All he has to do is show up as himself. Joseph has been in a situation where his integrity has taken him places, but he's always not chosen the comfortable thing, but chosen the integral thing. And all he has to do right now is show up as himself. And what we know about this story is that that's exactly what he did. He tells Pharaoh the interpretation of the dream. The reality is the dream had good news and the dream had bad news. And a less integral man might be inclined to only give the good news. But Joseph gave the good news, which was, Pharaoh, we're about to knock it out of the park in the next seven years. There are going to be bumper crops. You are going to have such years of plenty that there is going to be so much prosperity. It's going to be unbelievable. But there are going to be seven years after that. And a famine is going to come. A famine so great that the people are going to forget how much prosperity there just was. And that, Pharaoh is confirmed by the fact that God sent you two different dreams. Both dreams he sent you was to make sure you knew that this is a confirmation that he's going to do it and he's going to do it soon. And the beautiful thing about Joseph is because he was full of wisdom, he did not stop there because the character he had been building all along the way, managing affairs greatly, began to come in handy. You see how this is? And so he's, he goes on to say, boldly, I might add, because Pharaoh really only asked him for the interpretation of the dream. He didn't really ask him for management advice. But Joseph says, so here's what Pharaoh, here's what you need to do. You need to go ahead and appoint supervisors over all your storehouses in every city. And you need to take 20% of all the crops you get in the next few you know really good years and you need to store them so that there will be grain for the lean years and do you know what pharaoh he and and and, and joseph says and then you need to find you somebody really wise and really intelligent and you need to put them in charge of all of Egypt so they can manage this because this is going to be a very, very big logistical uh, undertaking that's going to need extreme 
extremely high level of leadership. <laughs> so you know what Pharaoh says? Well, who else has the spirit of God and is filled with such intelligence and such leadership and such ability other than this man here who told me the interpretation of the dream that nobody else in my kingdom could and gave me a strategy for how to, <laughs> how to get over it. And so Joseph's integrity, Joseph's character, and Joseph's wisdom in the moment that it mattered caused him to go from being in the palace and in the same 24-hour period, it says that Pharaoh got him new clothes. Pharaoh took the ring off his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He made Joseph the prime minister of Egypt. No one was greater in all of Egypt except Pharaoh. He gave Joseph a wife. <laughs> one day. Joseph is a prisoner. The next day, he is second in command in Egypt. In a day, in one day, what made the difference? Well, it was what had been happening and what he had been building in himself all those years. They all built up to the one day he needed it. That character was being built all that time. And so my question to you a minute ago, right? As you do the work along the route, the reality, what we realize is that the work along the route is managing moments. It's realizing it's realizing that whatever season you're in, if you're in a waiting season, if you're in a winning season, if you're in the one day when it's, you're about to go before the person that matters, it's about managing moments. It's about realizing that what you're called to do is the next right thing that you need to do in order to build that godly character because that one day, oh, that one day, all your gifting meets the moment that matters. Everything you've been building comes to, comes, to, comes to play in that one day. Now, you don't have any idea when the one day is. But you've got complete control over today. 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 You can manage the moments of today. Sometimes we, um, we're in character managing moments and we don't even know it. Character managing moments are when it's difficult for you to do the right thing and you choose to do the right thing anyway. Character managing moments are what you do, how you respond when you hear a hard truth, whether you receive it and turn or whether you reject it and push it back. Character managing moments are how well you managed the temptations that are in front of you, right? Character managing moments are what you allow 
yourself to do when you have the freedom to do more than you're being held responsible for. Character managing moments are how you steward things, right? Character managing moments are what you do at work when the boss isn't looking, whether you're working or whether you're not. Those are the moments, those are the moments that come to bear when your gifting meets a moment. And those are the moments that tell the most on you. Those are the moments that determine whether you have what it takes to go from this piece in your season to that piece. The reality is that none of us like is that character is often proven through hardship. It's often in hardship that we prove, prove what kind of character we have. See, we've been building it all along. It's like, um, I had a friend that was a minister when I was a lot younger. He used to make this great, great analogy that has stayed with me for years. He would say, storms reveal how weak the roof really is. When it's not raining and it's not leaking on the inside, you think you've got a good roof because you don't have a storm to test it. The storm reveals what's really there. So character is proven in hardship. So I guess I'd leave you with this thought. If you're, if you're asking for a great assignment, right? If, if, if it's a great platform, great influence, you're gonna need character. You're gonna need character to show up well. You're gonna need character beyond the moment you show up. If Joseph had gotten into that position and what he said had not come to pass, <laughs> that there would be problems. If Joseph had gotten into that position as second in command under Pharaoh and the character that had paid him in a moment hadn't allowed him to manage the excess surplus that came in in the prosperous years so that there would be grain in the later years, they would have had a problem. Pharaoh put him in that position, not only because of his gifting, but because of his character and his character carried him. It wasn't just Egypt that Joseph saved. It wasn't just the reconciliation of his brothers and getting to see his dad again. He preserved the very line that the savior would come through. The reality is sometimes when we make these difficult decisions because of character, because we're driven by becoming like Christ, we are following God and there are certain things we can't do we don't even know what we're doing when we're doing what we're doing. You probably couldn't have told Joseph the effect of what he was doing would be felt thousands of years later, but it was. And as I've said before, an act of obedience resonates in the spiritual realm. It's bigger than the moment. And so I just wanna encourage you today Don't despise the dry seasons. A lot can happen in a day. 
But uh, what happens in the life-changing day is all about the groundwork you've been laying all the days before. So if you find yourself in a dry season, something kind of like being sold into slavery in this story, right? Maybe, or something like, you know, being in a prison or in Potiphar's house. Instead of becoming bitter, I suggest you get better. I suggest you take the moment and learn the lessons of the season. I suggest you realize that God still walks with you because I promise you, your one day is coming. Be encouraged, family.